God was reminding me this afternoon that there is struggle as we move towards glory, but that there's glory in the struggle. We need to remember that. There's glory in the struggle. James chapter 1 tonight as we continue our Wednesday night series in the book of James, looking at a letter written by one of Jesus' brothers, someone who grew up with Jesus, someone who was in the home of Joseph and Mary with Jesus every day. And so the things that James writes about has a lot of influence, obviously, from all those days that he was around Jesus, even before he became a believer. Because none of us starts out at zero with God. God is always working on our hearts even before we come to Christ. There is such a thing as what I call the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Because God says, no one can come to me unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So God is working on us even before we come to faith in him. And that was certainly true of James and of Jesus' other brothers and sisters. And as you move through this letter, I want you to see as you read it, as you study it, how being a brother of Jesus maybe caused James to write about certain things in a certain way and to see it from that perspective. Now, last week we saw that James is starting out his letter reminding us that our values determine our evaluations. What we value shapes our evaluations of things. So as I said, when he was talking about trials, if we value character over everything, then a trial is something that we can find joy in because we know that it will build our character. If we value comfort over character, then when a trial comes into our life, we'll be more gripey and complaining about it rather than finding joy in it. So our values shape our evaluations. Tonight, in this short passage we're going to look at tonight, James is again reminding us that our values needs to be the values of God. That as we grow as a Christian, that we need to sort of adopt those values of God. Would you please find verse 9? And in this short passage, James is going to reveal to us what are the values of God and what should the person of God value if we're valuing what God values. James 1, verses 9 through 12. James says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position. But the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven 
To be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. The first thing that we see in verse 9 that we should value is our high position spiritually in Jesus Christ. Notice he says, now. Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position. Let's talk first of all about what it means to be a person of humble means. It, and the reason why James is, I think, again, addressing this is because, let's not forget, Joseph and Mary, by the standards of their day, were poor. Therefore, James and Jesus and their other brothers and sisters grew up in what would be referred to as a poor family. They didn't have much of this world's goods. So they would have been people of humble means. You wonder, did James sort of have a problem with that all his life? And now finally, when faith came into his life, he started to see the value of a spiritual position rather than maybe one's status in the world. Because why he's talking here to believers about this is even as believers, many times our worth, our self-worth, our identity is based on what we are or what we do in the world. Our position, our power, our means, our wealth. That, that's how we determine our value and our worth is who we are or what we are to others. And James is saying that's not what we should take pride in. And that many times those who are of a more humble means in an earthly way can be made to feel less than because they don't have what others may have. And James is also saying to them, oh, no, 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 you have a reason to hold your head up high no matter what you have materially or physically, you see. Because you have a high position, spiritually speaking. And we know Paul talks about this. He said that after we receive Christ as our Savior, that God raises us up and seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. Positionally speaking, this is where we are. And so James is saying, should we not as Christians, even if we are people of humble means, should we not hold our head up high every day as we walk through life because we are children of God and we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that we have a high position in this universe? We should not allow what the world thinks of us or what we even are in the world as far as the world's perspective to somehow make us feel less valuable, less worthy, simply because we don't have what others have or we don't have this position or that position or this status symbol or that status symbol. James is telling every Christian, but especially addressing the believer of humble means, you need to hold your head up high because you are a child of the king. 
Do we value our high position? Not that that makes us a prideful person. James is going to talk about that balance. But that we should, certainly should realize that we have the ability from that vantage point to look at life differently, to see life differently, to have a different outlook and perspective on our everyday lives. Do we operate, if you will, from that high position? And that's what should give us confidence as we live our lives every day. Because God has lifted us up above the things of the earth, above our circumstances. And every day, just as when you get on an airplane and you go, obviously, higher, you have a whole different perspective on things down there. James is saying, do we not as Christians value the high position we have with God spiritually? And do we not from that position then live our lives every day? Seeing things not from down here where we are, but from here where we are positionally with Christ. And James is saying that's going to give us even a greater confidence because obviously, like anyone who has a higher vantage point, you can see further, you can see longer, you can see more. The higher you go, the more you can see. And James says because God has given every believer in Christ that ability to live life from that high position, he says that should build confidence in us. Because we're not seeing things from here, we're seeing things from up there, from God's perspective. Seeing things through his eyes, seeing things through his spirit and through his word. Do we value our high position? That's what God values. And the person of God will value what God values, not the things of this earth that can come and go and be taken from us, but that high position that you and I are going to have forever and ever because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then notice verse 10, he addresses a wealthy believer. And now in verse 10, he's going to tell us, not only should we value every day our high position, we should value humility. We should value humility. Now, obviously, in James's day, as well as in our day, humility is not something that's greatly valued, you see. And yet, from God's perspective, humility enables us to put things in a proper perspective in life, including ourselves. Even as a wealthy believer, notice he says, but the rich person's pride or glory should be in his humiliation, his lowliness, if you will. Wait a minute. I thought I had a high position. Yes. But here's the deal. When you and I humble ourselves before God and we get in touch with true humility, it's because we've discovered and we are discovering the greatness of God. And therefore, we live every day, even if we are a person like the person being addressed in verse 10, who maybe has great position, great power, great wealth on earth, compared to God, the God 
our creator, our savior, our sustainer, we're nothing compared to him. And when you and I get in touch with his greatness, we realize then who we are in relationship to him. And then that puts who we are to everyone else and what we are on earth and what position we hold and what wealth we may have. It puts it all in proper perspective. We don't put our value and we don't get, again, our value, our fulfillment, our satisfaction from these worldly earthly things. We get it from being in touch with the God of the universe. And therefore, we become a person who is living God-reliant rather than self-reliant. Because many times, people of means, even Christians, can even consciously or even unconsciously begin to rely on themselves, their own wit and wisdom, their own power and position, their own wealth and status, whatever, instead of totally relying on God every day. And that's why he's saying, and the wealthy believer, your glory should be in your humility. Because when you got there, you realized the greatness of God. You realized how great God was, and you live in awe and wonder of this God every day. And so you value the fact that that humility allows you to go through life seeing everything and putting everything in its proper place and perspective. You don't overemphasize the things that are transitory and are temporal and are the things of the earth, and you value the things that truly matter, God and his spirit and, and eternal things that you and I come in touch with, you see. In fact, it is through this humility that we really do then begin, right, to value eternal things. Because isn't that also what he talks about here in verse 10? And then look at verse 11. Or I'm just going to go back to verse 10. The rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because, because, and he mentions four different ways that the rich person, even even if he's wealthy, is not going to be around forever, and therefore neither is he going to be attached to his stuff forever. But he doesn't talk about the stuff. Notice he talks about the person. He will pass away or perish like a wildflower in the meadow. The sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. Four times in two verses. Pass away, dries up, falls off, lost. It's like, yep, not around. So if you're putting, if you're getting all full of pride because of your power and position and worldly treasure and all that, he says, you realize compared to eternity, that's nothing. And that we're all going to be in eternity very soon because our earthly life is very short. Therefore, we should also value eternal things over temporal things. Value our high position. Value humility because of what it does for us. It puts everything, including us, in proper perspective. And value eternal things because the things that you and I can touch, the things that surround us here, they're not going to be around very long, and neither are we. 
In fact, he says at the end of verse 11, so also the wealthy or rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away, literally fade or disappear off the scene. And I love the fact that James is very blunt here. He's basically addressing the majority of human beings, Christian or not, saying you realize most people don't feel like they're done or finished on earth when God calls them home. They're in the midst of their pursuit. Most people are like, but God, I, there's still more I want to do or still more I could do or whatever. Most people, when God calls us home, even as his children, we're in the midst of something. Because let's face it, for many of us, especially if you have your health and strength, you, you still want to stick around. God even almost has to pluck even his own children out, you know, because we get so attached to earth and to the things of earth rather than, again, valuing eternity and eternal things. In fact, keep your finger there and just go over a couple chapters to chapter 4, verse 14. James speaks about the brevity and fragility of life in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, you do not know about tomorrow. What is your life like? For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes, disappears, fades away, or withers away in chapter 1. Gone. Gone. So we need to value our high position, our humility, and eternal things. But he's not done. Actually, in verse 12, we have three more things to value in just this verse. First of all, he says, happy is the one who endures testing. Let's stop there. He's going back to the whole testing of our faith that he talked about last week. Really happy? Blessed? Yeah. Who but God can bring blessings out of trials? Only God can. And that's part of why he's saying we should be happy when we're enduring times of testing. Why? Because great spiritual benefit comes to us when we endure our testing. So the next thing that we should value is our spiritual growth and spiritual things over the physical. Again, if our value is the physical comes before the spiritual, then especially when testing comes and it affects us physically, we're going to react negatively to that. But if we, if God takes us through something, some kind of trial, and it affects us physically, like Job, and our value is, but God... My spiritual growth and growing closer to you and becoming more like you is my greatest value. Then when the testing comes, I'm willing to endure it because, again, I know that great benefit is coming my way when I endure this time of testing. That's why we can be happy. That's why we're blessed. Not because of the trial itself. 
not because of the pain and the suffering itself and what is the cause or source of it, but what God can produce through it or out of it. That's why I can be happy. In a sense, and this goes back to Sunday's message, I can be happy in the hands of God always because I know I'm always in his hands. Just as Jesus said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. I'm giving my spirit into you for safekeeping. Anything is safe in the Father's hands. You and I are in the Father's hands. Therefore, we can always know that we are blessed because if something touches us, it first had to pass through the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. And the only reason he allowed it to get through his hands is because he knows this is for our benefit. It can be a blessing to us, through us, whatever, and bring him glory as well. Happy is the one who endures testing, who perseveres courageously and calmly when the heat is turned up in our life. And you and I can all look back on our lives and recall those times when we felt like the heat was being turned up. Because again, as we talked about last week, that's what testing is. And that's why he goes on to say that this testing that we endure will prove whether we are genuine or not. It will confirm that we are the real deal or that we are counterfeit, that we're just faking it until we make it, as some say today, that we're just pretending. That's what testing does. Testing doesn't create something that's not already there. Testing simply shows up what's there or what's lacking. But then as I endure the test, then I can start growing and becoming stronger and becoming more genuine and more real through that if I'm willing to endure the test when it comes, you see. God's looking for genuineness. Again, I, I was saying last week that this idea was used to determine whether coins in the ancient world were counterfeit or whether they were real. You could tell the, the kind of metal that the coin was by simply heating it up. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. When you turn the heat on in our lives, you find out what's really there. Is there faith? What kind of faith? How strong? How much? It's all revealed during the test. As we trust God in that test, saying, God, I value my spiritual growth and spiritual maturity more than 
my comfort and and all of those other things. So God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to move through this trial with you, knowing that you're going to bring something good and glorious out of it for me and maybe even for others. Then notice a couple results. The first is we will receive the crown of life that God has promised. Besides valuing our high position, our humility, eternal things, spiritual things like our spiritual growth, God wants us to learn to value his gifts. That's what the crown of life is. It's a gift from God. It's something that you and I receive when we endure testing. And it's an emblem of victory. That's why he calls it the crown of life. It's saying, hey, you did it. You made it through. You were victorious. It didn't get the best of you. You got the best of it. And so I'm giving you real life. See, that's the reward. That's the gift. Life. Saying, well, I already have life. This isn't heart beating, physical existence, breathing life. This isn't the word bios, because everybody has that life. This again is that Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. It is the word that Jesus used when he said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It is abundant life. It is the highest quality of life that a human being can experience on earth before we get to heaven. So I want you to note something. You and I don't have to wait to get this gift or this reward from God, this crown of life, when we get to heaven. No, no, we can begin to enjoy gifts like these crowns of life here on earth as you and I endure testing we really then begin to experience real living, real life, the kind of life that God says you and I as his children can experience even in the midst of a sin-cursed earth with sinful people all around, including us, in the midst of suffering and pain and trial and tribulation, we can still, because of our high position, rise above all these things around us, and we can experience the highest quality of living imaginable because we're valuing the things that God values, not the things that the world says is valuable. So that's why our value isn't in our earthly stuff. It's in our high position. Our value isn't in pride. It's in humility. Our value isn't in temporal things. It's in eternal things. Our value is in spiritual growth, not our comfort and prosperity. Our value is in the gifts that only God can give us. And God is the only one that can give us this quality of life. It's the kind of life that will be distinct and stand out 
Because again, in the midst of, you know, trials and tribulations and pain and suffering and sin and all this stuff, here's a life that seems to be victorious, an overcomer, one who's not allowing the situation or the circumstances to get the best of them, but they're the ones that's defining their existence because of their relationship to God every day. God is the one who's defining things, not the world, not their circumstances. It's God. Which leads me to this last point. And that is that even beyond the gifts of God, we should value the giver himself, God. Because what are his gifts without him? So notice James ends this passage by saying that the one who endures testing, when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised or pledged to those who love him. Meaning, God's my greatest treasure. God is more precious to me than anything. I choose God first. That he's the greatest value of anything and everything in the universe. It's God. And we know as believers that there's always a struggle to keep God first. We know that because Jesus himself addressed a church, a church that at one time was on fire for God, the book of Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And yet Jesus says later on, you have left your first love. And nothing can take the place of that. Because he says, oh, yeah, you're, you're doctrinally sound and you're, you're kicking out people that are false teachers and all this, but it doesn't make up for the fact that you have stopped loving me. And loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment. It's, it's the one thing that sort of should define everything else in our life. It's the, he should be the one value above everything. And Nicole's already led us in singing about that tonight. Nothing else but God. Let's remember something about love, too. This love is not primarily a feeling, although feelings, strong feelings, will accompany love, but not be driven by this kind of love. No, this love is a love of choice. It's the same kind of love that God has for us. Many times we are not lovable, but God still loves us because he chooses to love us, you see. So God's love for us is not primarily based on, founded on, or driven by Feelings, although he has great passion for us. It's primarily driven 
because God always chooses to love us unconditionally. And God wants to create that same heart in his people for him. Not in a self-serving way. Because God understands if I truly love him, that's the greatest thing I could ever spend my life in eternity doing. And there will be nothing that's more fulfilling or satisfying than loving God. Because as I love him, I'm experiencing his love for me, and I'm receiving it, and, and there is nothing that could fill up our lives, be more fulfilling, be more satisfying than to live in a passionate, intimate love relationship with God. And that's why James says that they will receive the crown of life promised to those who love him who value him and what he values above everything and everyone else. And you and I, every once in a while, we, it's just good for us to sort of do a heart check and say, God, do I really love you? Do I really love you more than anyone or anything in this world? Let's pray. And then we're going to spend some time expressing our heart of worship back to God tonight. God, I, I pray today that all of us, God, would be a people open to your values, to the things that you say truly matter, that are most significant, most important. God, even as your children, as we move through life, we can start to run after and go after and be distracted by all this other stuff. And yet you've reminded us tonight, Lord, once again, that life is so brief on this earth. And eternity is waiting. And you are waiting. And so, God, I pray for these few days, maybe hours, months. We don't know, God. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we have now. And so I pray, God, that now we will seize this moment. We will allow you, God, to touch our hearts, to shape our hearts, to make our heart like your heart, God. To live our lives with your values, living for what's most important, what really matters. Do a work, God, in us tonight and through us, God. May we reflect your values to others so that we can be a light to them as well. Move in our time of worship, God, as we declare our love for you tonight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.